Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truths and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you. And now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new episode. Today we will be concluding the second chapter in the book of Ephesians. Last week we went through verses 1 through 10. Very powerful stuff. Very foundational. And I'm such a person right now who is just in awe of the splendor the wonder, the beauty of God. Because being able to go through these book studies, not only is it a privilege for me to do so, but it also is beneficial for me as I write these up. And here's what I want to let everybody know. I'm not writing these up for just the listener. I'm writing these up for my own walk. And I pray that you are blessed because of that, and it will help you in your walk as well. But I don't go into it with the mindset that I am going to try to blow your minds and try to come up with some amazing, profound meanings and sayings that is going to be put on a shirt one day. That's not what this is about. And what I am trying to do is I'm trying to get myself more out of the way so that Christ can shine brighter and brighter, which that is the main goal. And that's the purpose. So with that being said, we left off last week with verses 8, 9, and 10, which is so significant in our walk, in our foundation. So I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and read verses 8, 9, and 10. And then we will pick up on verse 11 and go all the way to the end of the second chapter, which ends in verse 22. So let's go back to verse eight for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We ended the show last week by challenging you and challenging me in walking in good works. And we talked about if we want to know how to walk in good works, we need to look at the life of Christ in which at some point, God willing on this show, I would love to go through the book of John. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, Nate, John has 21 chapters in it, and that's a really, really long book, and rightly so. But I think what we tend to do is I think we try to get to the bottom of these ists and isms that, that man has created so that we can understand the Bible better. And I think we overcomplicate it. I think we... We make more than it is. And so getting to the bottom of it, the whole entire Bible is about Christ. 
And I think we lose sight of that sometimes because I think the deeper we go, we have to understand all the ists and isms that are out there. And I'm not going to get into all those, but I was listening to a Q&A session not too long ago, and I, I've caught myself now listening to those. And as much as I like hearing them and listening to the questions and the answers given by these theologians, but as I listen to them, sometimes I'm literally saying this to myself, who cares? Who cares? For example, this one person in particular was so hung up on predestination, and you can tell the look of concern upon this person's face, and I'm asking myself, what's the big deal? So if we have questions on, let's just say, predestination, and one of the biggest questions out there is if everything is predestined, then what is what we do matter? And if God preordains everything, then why do we have to be obedient? Why would we do this, this, this? And I think we overcomplicate it in our minds to the point where God's wisdom, and this is the mystery too, God's wisdom is so simply profound that it really does boggle our minds to the point where we just kind of go bananas. I remember one day studying on predestination, and I was in my Bible for four hours. I know what you're thinking. Wow, he must be super Christian, but please don't think that. And I wasn't thinking that either, but I was literally banging my head against the wall, thinking to myself, I am having such a difficult time figuring this out. Why am I making this harder than it has to be? And here is the basic conclusion I came up to in regards to that. As far as predestination goes, who cares? Who cares? Well, that sounds pretty messed up, Nate, coming from somebody that's teaching the Bible. Well, think of it this way. Are you saved? Yes or no? If you can say wholeheartedly with no hesitation that yes, you are saved, that is not you being boastful. That is you relying upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Verse 8 in Ephesians chapter 2, for grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not as a result of works, understanding fully that you have nothing and no power, no merit to inherit salvation for yourself. You cannot earn it on your own and you trust and have faith fully upon Jesus Christ and what he's done and who he is. And you're obedient. You're producing the fruits of the Holy spirit. You're putting on the full armor of God. You're increasing in those qualities found in, Second Peter 1, if you're doing all those things and you have test yourself in those things, then you're a Christian. Then you have nothing to worry about. So going back to my main point here about who cares about predestination, if you're saved, then you're saved. Then you would be the predestined. It doesn't matter if fill in the blank of whatever name you want to fill in across the world is saved or not. 
we're not supposed to be worrying about anybody else except ourselves in the faith. And you're probably thinking right now, well, wait a minute. We're supposed to be caring for one another, putting others above ourselves. Yes, we are. But in regards to our walk in the Lord, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work out your salvation and another person in the faith. No. Yes, we are to build each other up. Yes, we are to encourage one another. Yes, we are to sharpen that iron with one another. Yes, absolutely. But when it comes down to, to it, it is a intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and getting as close to them intimately as possible. That's it. And you can't do that by worrying about someone else's salvation. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. But at the end of the day, it has to be a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It has to be. And I think that's why the Bible many times has the symbolism of our relationship with God with a marriage. Christ is the groom and we are his bride. It doesn't get any more intimate than that. And you see what happens when a bride and groom are not intimate. And I'm not talking about sexually. I'm talking about from the heart, one to another, knowing each other intimately. And a lot of marriages fail because we are so driven by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we don't get take the time to get to know them and see the fruit of the people that we're marrying. And I mean, really meshing our lives with the two become one flesh. And then when the fruit starts to show and we realize that that person is not who we thought they were, well, it's too late. And then what happens? We get a divorce and you hear it so many times a day, irreconcilable differences. That is the most ludicrous reason for divorce, I've ever heard in my life. Irreconcilable differences. That just means you can't stand the person you're with anymore. Well, they were this way, now they're that way. Now I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And I know I'm going off in a little bit of a tangent here, but I, I promise you there's a point. We get so wound up. We get so fixated on all the ists and isms that what we tend to do is we lose focus of Christ. And that, my friends, can lead to idolatry. You have to be so careful. Now, I'm not going to rank sins in order here, but I'm going to say that idolatry is pretty close to number one. <laughs> and our God is, is a jealous God. Think Think about this for a minute. Men, would you want your wife hanging around another guy other than you? That's a quote-unquote friend spending all this time together? You wouldn't like that at all. Wives, you would you want your husband hanging around women all day long? At night? I mean, that's you know that's not natural. That, that's not good for a marriage. But that's what we do. As the bride of Christ, what we do when we start flirting with the world. We start having an affair with the world. Look at these new and shiny things. 
look at that. Ooh, that's, I want to do that. And I, again, I think that's why the Bible over and over and over again parallels our relationship with Christ with marriage. And the wonderful thing about Christ, it's not till death do his part. He never leaves us. Never leaves us. When we die physically on this earth, we will leave our spouses temporarily. And then one day be re reunited with them. But with Christ, though, he never leaves us. Remember the mystery of Christ in Colossians. We read about this. The mystery of Christ is that he lives within us. And then the moment our eyes close for the final time on this earth, I guarantee you, I promise you, because it's in scripture, we will be immediately in the presence of God. There's no waiting game. There's no purgatory. It's right into the presence of God. And the, that joy of being in the presence of Christ Almighty himself will be far superior than anything we could ever experience on this earth, bar none. So do not be deceived by the things of this world and do not get caught up in the, again, I've said it like four times already and I apologize, but I have to keep saying it because there's so many people that get, get caught up in this, but don't get caught up in the ists and isms of Christianity. Don't do it. I, I'm not going to go there, but again, don't let those things bewitch us to the point where it it creates that doubt to the point where we just, oh, this is too overwhelming. I can't understand it all. And so I, I, I'm just going to walk away. That's what happens. And it's not that complicated. It's really not that complicated. People make Christianity into a category of religion. It is not a religion. It is not a religion. Let me say that one more time. It is not a religion. It is an intimate relationship with the one who died for you and the one who created you and the one who sustains you and sanctifies you and eventually glorifies you. That's what it's all about. So sometimes when you're reading into, especially in like 2 Corinthians, like 2 Peter, the we're talking the deep level spiritual steak, not the spiritual milk, the spiritual steak of the word. Sometimes that can get, can get overwhelming too. So what we need to do, sometimes we have to do exactly what it says in, in Peter. Where we have to be reminded of those things. So we have to go back to the basics. I'm teaching youth group. And, you know, my brain wants to go to these deep level, deep water scriptures here. But I'm realizing that I can't do that. Why can I not do that? Because the people that I'm teaching are infants. In the... in in regards to spiritual things, but that's the reality. And I know what you're thinking. Nate, 
Um, we're 15 minutes into this, and we haven't even gotten to verse 11 yet. Yeah, I know that. But this is here for a purpose. Don't get caught up in those things. Don't let it overwhelm you. Come to Christ. Get to know him intimately. You want to know how to walk in good works? Study his life. Learn from him. And as our master, when he says to do something, we do it. When in scripture it shows us how he responded to certain things, we need to try to remember to respond in those ways. And every time Jesus was confronted with temptation, sin, because we know he never sinned, what did he do? He always, always quoted scripture. He was always in prayer. He was always in union with God. It's not that complicated, is it? No. No, it is not. So, with that lengthy introduction, we are now going to start in verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments containing in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death at the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, I know that was a mouthful, and I know that was a lot to take in. So, like we always do, let's go back to verse 11. Let's start breaking this down. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So anybody that is not a Jew is a Gentile. 
That's what we need to understand first. The Gentiles experienced two types of alienation. The first was a social alienation, which resulted from the animosity that was existing between the Jews and the Gentiles for thousands of years. The Jews considered Gentiles to be outcasts. And the second and probably more significant type of alienation was a spiritual alienation. Because Gentiles, as a people, were cut off from God in five separate ways and different ways. They were separate from Christ, number one, the Messiah, having no Savior and Deliverer and without divine purpose or destiny. Remember, Jesus was the Messiah of the Jewish people, and he came to his own, and what did they do? They rejected him. Number two, they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and that group of people, the Israelites, were God's chosen people, and they were a nation whose supreme king and lord was God himself, and from whose unique blessing and protection they benefited from. Number three, Gentiles were strangers of the covenants of promise. So as Gentiles, and I would be one of them, we would not be able to, to partake in God's divine covenants in which he promised to give his people a land, a priesthood, a people, a nation, a kingdom, and a king. And to those who believe in him, eternal life in heaven. Number four, they had no hope because they had been given no divine promise. Number five, they were without God in the world. While Gentiles had many gods, they did not recognize the true God because they did not want him. So as you see those five distinctions, we see that in verse 12, and this is the verse that literally terrifies me as a believer, but at one point we were separate from Christ. And we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, the citizenship of Israel. And I'm, we're talking about the spiritual aspects of things here. And we're also strangers to the covenants of promise. It says in the end of verse 12, having no hope and without God in the world. That is terrifying. Separate from Christ, no hope, without God. That is true hell. But Jesus being the loving, gracious, compassionate Messiah that he is, listen to what he says in John 10, 11 through 16. Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Why am I saying this to you right now? Well, first off, to show you that in verse 11 and verse 14, 
when Jesus says, I am, he is saying that he is co-equal God, that he is God. And for those people, and you've heard them, that will tell you, oh, Jesus in the New Testament never said that he is God ever. Well, two times here in what, three verses? But this is not the focal point. The focal point is 16. I have other sheep. That's the Gentiles. That's us that are not of Jewish descent, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So you're seeing it right here. Jesus Christ didn't leave the rest of the world to fend for themselves because would they have any hope without him? No, because we just found that going back to Ephesians 2 here in verse 12, having no hope separate from Christ without God in the world. There is no hope outside of Christ. Do you see why it is so important, brothers and sisters, why we need to be diligent in our walk with the Lord? Why we cannot take this hope that we have and bury it in the ground? We have to get uncomfortable. We have to tell people before it's too late. We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel, even though it might make people around us feel uncomfortable. And by the way, Christmas just happened, right? New Year's is just happening. This is the perfect opportunity. Do not let the fear of people walking out of your life affect your decision to share the gospel of Christ with them. Because that is the most loving thing you can do with somebody, is to share the hope of Christ, the true hope, with them. That is the best thing you can do. And now, moving on from that point, we finally reach verse 13. Because the message of sin separating you from God, alienating you from God, in which you have no hope without God, we enter the beauty of verse 13. It says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How precious is that blood? How precious is it? And that term that we're far off was a, a rabbinical term in writings describing Gentiles who are apart from God. And I want to focus on the two words here, brought near. That means... We are now in spiritual union with Christ, intimate with Christ and God himself by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ washes away our sins and amazingly brings us into a right relationship with God. That's why I love 
2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. As a matter of fact, I know I sound like a broken record, but I want to go there. So with your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. You hear me quote it all the time, but it is so powerful. Listen to this. Starting in verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My friends, it really doesn't get any more clear than that. And we have spoken about reconciliation many times. And if you have forgotten what the word reconcile means in Scripture, it means this. To change or exchange. It means to decisively change as to when two parties reconcile when coming to the same position. It's also applied to marriage partners, but usually in the redemptive sense of a sinner reconciling to the Lord. So we go from Hostile to friendship. That, my friends, is what Christ did for us on the cross. When he became sin on our behalf. Jesus did not become a sinner. Understand that. He did not become a sinner. He just took upon our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then we, and we have to kind of read this a little bit backwards here, because we have been made righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we as, as his ambassadors now, we need to, need to make an appeal to everyone around us who doesn't know Christ, and we need to basically just say this. We beg you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We beg people, we plead with them. Let us reason together. Let's just not merely invite them to church and let everything else be ho hum. We are in the fight of our lives. And I know what I said early on in the episode where I said that we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, that is so true. But the love of Christ does not stop with just us and we bury our heads in the sand. No, we have to go out into this 
dead and dying world. Because what did we read in Ephesians 2, verse 1? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. My friends, we have co-workers, we have family members, we have friends who are dead in their trespasses and sins. How can we, claiming that we have the love of Christ, not share that love of Christ with them? This hope of salvation, the being brought near to God by the blood of Christ, the reconciliation of hostility, hatred, animosity towards God in our sinful ways, and then being made friendly again through Christ. This is why we have now made our podcast motto, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. Because in everything that I've read, it basically boils down to that very simple statement. And it doesn't stop there, my friends. Look at verse 14. I mean, we live in a time where peace is not what we think it is. We think peace is through meditation. We think peace is something that we can get by accruing a large sum of money so we can retire on a beach and live out our life the way we want. Now, it goes deeper than that. Listen to verse 14. For he himself, talking about Christ alone here, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, this is talking about the wall in the temple that partitioned off the court of the Gentiles from the areas of the Jews in which they were only allowed to be in. We are all one in Christ, nationally, economically, socially. Those barriers no longer matter. All believers' identification is found in Christ. That is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And the reason why people don't have peace is because they don't have Christ. Listen to verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Christ's death ended Old Testament laws, ceremonial laws, feasts, and sacrifices. It abolished all that. And you know, peace is only possible if it's in Christ. A spiritually new person is no longer Jewish, American, German, Russian, Australian, Irish, French, Canadian, etc., etc., etc. We are simply believers in Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter anymore. Those things don't matter anymore. I want to read with you 
right now, both of us together, all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. It's it's all right there. So whether you are a person living in the wealthy part of town, or if you are a person that's living on the street, whether you are an American, whether you are a Russian, whether you are whatever, all those things, all those barriers that we put up as people and institutions, those are all knocked down when we put our trust and faith in Christ because those things no longer matter. Christ is the head of all people, his people. And there's no distinction anymore. That is what happens when we put our trust and faith in Christ. You want world peace? Everybody puts their trust and faith in Christ. Is that going to happen? No. Unfortunately, no. I wish it, I honestly wish it would, but that's not possible. Listen to verse 16 and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. That is so vital. The cross is so important. It, it, there were so many things that happened on the cross than the forgiveness of our sins. There's many more things. By having it put to death, the enmity, again, hear that word again, that's the hostility. And he came, verse 17, and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. My friends, through Christ is, is the only way to the Father. We know that in John 14, 6. Through Christ in the Holy Spirit, do we have the privilege and honor of having access to God. We are granted this access because we are unworthy, but Christ makes us worthy. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 21 just is so powerful to me nowadays. It just, that's, it's almost turning into my life first. I know you just said, I said before, Nate, you just said that Galatians 2, 20. I know you're, you're getting, I'm getting fired up here because I was at one point alienated from God. I too, at one point was under wrath, condemnation, and now through Christ, Am I reconciled to him? I am made peaceful, friendly with God. That is so amazing. It's so powerful. But now we have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. There it is. There it is. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. And listen to this, my brothers and sisters. If you're down in the dumps, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling sad, you feel overwhelmed, listen to this. This is the promise in Christ Jesus, this ministry of reconciliation, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He knocked down those barriers, the walls of hostility, 
between us, our sinful nature, and God. Listen to the end of verse 19. And are of God's household. Are you serious? Are you serious right now? You are members of God's family. You went from objects of wrath because of our disobedience, because of our sinful nature. We were at war with God. And the truth is, if we are in our sins outside of Christ, we hated God. But Christ, in Christ alone, through Him alone, are we able to be a part of His family. And my friends, that blows me away. And I want to read to you right now, John 1, verse 12. Listen to this. But as many as received Him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's just, I don't know. That's a, that's a kind of love that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of Savior that I want to follow and I want to dedicate my whole life to. That's the kind of Savior I want to be a living sacrifice to daily. So. Verse 20, as we start to wrap up Ephesians 2, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The word cornerstone here is the foundation upon where everything was built upon. And we've talked about this in episodes previous, but Christ is the cornerstone. We don't put our stock in the apostles and prophets. No, no, no. It's upon Christ. Then can we build upon those things. Then we can rely on the teachings of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and prophets. Verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, the word fitted together here, the first thing that comes to my mind is Colossians 1.17. And in him, talking about Christ, all things hold together. It's the same thing. Do we want our churches to be in union with Christ? Do we want to be united together? Well, the only way that's possible is through Christ and Christ alone. And here we're talking about the last part of verse 21 is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Every believer is a stone in Christ's temple. And here's the amazing part. We as believers are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So what do we need to do with our bodies? We need to be a living sacrifice to God. We need to be focused on the, the things of the Spirit we need to be focused on the fruits of the Spirit. We need to be focused on those things. We need to walk in them. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. And we must be very, very careful how we walk. Verse 22. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And as we start to wrap this all up, I want to focus in verse 22 
on the words, a dwelling of God in the spirit. The term for dwelling connotes a permanent home. God, the Holy Spirit, takes up permanent residence in his earthly sanctuary or known as the church. The vast spiritual body of all the redeemed. And what a privilege that is to have God, the Holy Spirit, living within us. And there is no other privilege in this world that can match the fact that the Holy Spirit is living within us. And so as we've wrapped up chapter 2, we have been a part of this journey now for a few weeks now, and we are about ready to hit chapter 3, which is halfway because Ephesians only goes to chapter 6. And as you go through this with me, I would greatly encourage you to be reading these chapters daily. So read chapter 3, start to study it out, make some notes, and if you're studying with me, like I said before, feel free to write into the show at livingparablestruth at gmail.com and let's have a discussion. What are some things that you're reading in scripture that have helped you in your walk? And we can start to make that apparent as we go through this walk together. And so with that being said, I want to thank every single one of you from the bottom of my heart for being with me on this journey, for studying the scriptures with me, because that's what it's all about. We are getting closer and closer to Christ every single day. We are glorifying him in all that we say and do. And we are in this together. Although we are to work at our own salvation with fear and trembling on our own, but that doesn't mean that we're in this alone. We are in this together. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And always remember, my brothers and sisters, that everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you all.